The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Personology is a production of iHeartRadio. Vincent van Gogh is one of the greatest and most influential of all post-impressionist artists, whose profound impact on 20th century art continues to alter the history of Western art today. Known for his emotive and intensely expressive style, he's also known for his excessive suffering, yet high productivity, having made over 2,100 artworks in 10 years of his short 37-year life. Though he died 130 years ago, his work still affects the way we view beauty, art, and individuality. Several of his paintings have sold for over $100 million. I'm Dr. Gail Saltz, and this is Personology. Joining me today is Stephen Knifey, working artist, lawyer, Pulitzer Prize winner, and with his partner Gregory White-Smith is the author of the meticulously researched definitive biography, Van Gogh, The Life, a New York Times bestseller. Well, after his death, viewed as a genius, Vincent was born March 30th, 1853 in Groot in the Netherlands, the oldest son of Theodorus, a Dutch Protestant minister, and Anna, the daughter of a wealthy family. Vincent was the first of five children. He was really not the first pregnancy. There was a first Vincent who basically died in childbirth, essentially, and something that was really devastating for his mother. They had named him Vincent. And so our Vincent essentially comes into the world already inheriting this sense of loss and distress 
from his mother. Correct. And born a year to the day after the first Vincent. That first anniversary is usually very distressing to any mother who's lost a pregnancy. The literature sort of implies that the damage was to Vincent in imagining that he was the lesser of the two Vincents. And we wondered if really the the damage was in his mother Anna's head. It was her constellation of regrets and frustrations and angers that he perceived and suffered from. That's what we could call the replacement child. And unfortunately, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy when a mother imbues her replacement child as being the the bad one, essentially, or not measuring up in some way, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy for that child who lives day to day with the expectation and the transference from the parent that they're not good or they're disappointing or they certainly don't measure up in some way. Poor guy, our Vincent suffered from you know, so many problems, all of them layered on top of each other. And uh, if you know he had an assortment of mental afflictions and partly as a result would have disappointed his parents anyway, the fact that there was this previous Vincent and there was this replacement child syndrome would simply have magnified the parents' uh, disappointment in who he was anyway. Many of Vincent's self-portraits show evidence of a head shape and facial deformity, a topic he referenced in letters. He wrote specifically about the way other people viewed and reacted to him. It's likely that this was the result of a trauma during the process of birth, which at the time was much more prone to accidental injury for the infant and or the mother. Some of the psychiatrists who have tried to imagine what the diagnosis should have been have said it was it could easily have been congenital. And one of my questions to you is the shape of his uh, skull genetic or would it have been a trauma in the birth process, do you think? Well, given certainly had other siblings who didn't seem to have this issue going on, and given that the shape of the head and not other sort of medical problems that go along with some sort of genetic syndrome, it seems likely that it was something that happened in the birth canal. That is not unusual that, frankly, a head gets misshapen when birth occurs. And in normal circumstances, it is something that sort of over the following days goes back to essentially normal skull shape. But sometimes if there's been some sort of trauma or, you know, a child has sat too long in the birth canal, uh, something didn't work in terms of taking it out of the birth canal, there can be essentially what ends up being a malformation and that can affect brain tissue, which could be fine. Again, the brain is very plastic. It could recover. But if there was some sort of damage and there was some sort of scarring, scarring in the brain can set up someone for particular kinds of problems. And we'll talk later about what those problems may have been for Vincent, but it wouldn't be surprising if that was a nidus, what we call a nidus or like an area of the brain where there was some scarring or something not quite right, and that would set him up to develop certain symptoms later. You and Greg documented a lot of information about the kind of kid he was growing up. They weren't a poor family, but they were a, a, a very much a middle-class family. And uh, 
until Vincent came along, who is not a terribly distinguished family. We're very fortunate that he became quite famous soon after his early death, and therefore people began to record his life. They, they began, uh, historians went out and interviewed people, and in fact, uh, interestingly, a, a photograph of his uh, nanny came to light for the first time in the last couple of months. These 19th century photographs were stilted and uh, not terribly psychologically revealing, but she certainly doesn't look like a terribly loving and uh, gentle woman. So I think that might have added to the difficulties of his childhood. But we do have the recollections not only of her, but of the other people who worked in the Van Gogh household. And of course, the recollections of his parents and their letters and also some of his classmates. We know quite a bit about his, his childhood and how irascible, irritable, difficult and unhappy he was as a child. Several of Van Gogh's relationships defined his early life. Primary is his mother, Anna, who is described as an angry and unhappy woman, disappointed with her lot in life. Her marriage was arranged at the late age of 30 by her younger sister, Cornelia. Cornelia had married a successful man and saved her sister from spinsterhood by setting Anna up with her husband's younger brother, Theodore. Given Theo's position as a minister of a small town, this meant the family had little means and status it is easy to assume that this was a difficult transition for Anna. She came from The Hague, which was a very posh city at the time, and from a relatively well-to-do family. And social status in the Netherlands in the 19th century was everything. So she married down, basically, both in the sense that her pastor husband didn't make much money married down in the sense that she married at such an advanced age when her younger sister and all of her other sisters had been married. The younger sister marries this extremely wealthy art dealer who lived in a mansion uh, in nearby Breda. On top of that, or maybe because of it, the implications of the accounts of her life are that from Vincent himself, are that she was a terribly depressed person and uh, she herself said, uh, described herself as what we would call depressed. The way she medicated that depression was to stay busy at all times uh, and, and gave that lesson to her son. So I think we, we, can, we can fairly say that Vincent, uh, a depressed individual, grew up with a depressed mother. Which is not unusual, sadly, that children who have a mother who is depressed often develop depression really out of both the biological and genetic loading of depression, which runs in families, genetically speaking, but also that essentially they are emotionally neglected, not on purpose, but because the mother is depressed, she's emotionally unavailable. Perhaps the most important relationship in Vincent's life was his younger brother, Theo, the second son gregarious, capable, and affable. He quickly became the preferred son by his parents, but he was also adoring of Vincent. Parents are drawn to attractive, charming, happy, uh, cooperative children, in my experience. And Theo was all those things. He was terribly good looking. He was uh, a happy child. He was an engaged child. He loved helping his mother around the kitchen. So for, in all the ways that our Vincent was wanting, 
this four-year younger sibling was proving himself the parent's favorite child. So Vincent's terribly acutely aware that instead of being what the eldest child should have been, the successful one, he had he sat back and watched his considerably younger brother basically take his place as the first child in the family. Even though Theo was replacing him as the, you know, number one son in a way, he loved Theo. And Theo loved him. Yes. And there was sort of this mutual closeness and and worship that somehow, despite the competitive failings, was not undone. No, there's a wonderful, touching anecdote from his childhood where he and Theo shared a bed uh, growing up and uh, were in the sort of uh, uh, attic bedroom in the parsonage in Zunder. And uh, the mother had one of her fond memories was of the two of them sharing a pillow especially when Theo was very young, uh, he looked up to his older brother. Uh, when he was two, uh, Vincent was six. And given that age difference uh, and given Vincent's uh, intense interest in life, uh, he loved collecting bugs. He loved collecting birds' nests. He loved uh, understanding how nature worked. And he would, was constantly regaling his younger brother with his uh, somewhat more advanced knowledge of the world, and Theo sort of uh, hero-worshipped him. So despite all of the things we know that happened later in their lives, there was this early template for a much more positive relationship, which never was never completely lost. Even as Theo became the, the more successful child, to the point that Theo became Vincent's uh, financial sponsor, it basically paid for Vincent's entire adult life. So we, we end up with this terribly complicated sibling relationship in which there, which is full of, of resentment mixed in with all that resentment was an enormous amount of love. I mean, if the, if you were to name the key relationship in Vincent's life, it was clearly his brother, Theo. Vincent's father, Doris, short for Theodorus, was a mediocre minister and therefore placed in small towns with small congregations. But his relationship with Vincent was conflicted. He was often distant and disappointed in his firstborn, of whom much was expected. It made it even more complicated for Vincent uh, uh, that he wasn't getting much paternal feeling from his father that his father was the was essentially the father figure for the entire Protestant community in the that uh, he was the pastor for in this largely Catholic village they were living in. So I, I assume it would have been bad enough that he did not have a good relationship with his father, but making it worse was the fact that everybody else looked up to this man as the paternal figure in that community. And. You know, this is like the beginning of the way pretty much all of his relationships go. So whether you could call this sort of a template for the sad, unrequited, always unrequited relationships he he has, which are few and far between, but when they are, he wants to be close to whoever he wants to be with, and they push him away. They They don't want him there. 
this seems like a good spot to take a break. When we get back, we'll dive into some of the medical conditions that ran in the family, but that were poorly understood in his time. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. Despite the family's seeming lack of understanding of Vincent's struggling and suffering, there were numerous relatives with psychiatric illness and epilepsy on both sides. Vincent's grandmother, aunt, uncle, and a cousin all had epilepsy. Vincent's sister developed schizophrenia so severe that she remained mute and catatonic for the entire second half of her life. I was, uh, as you can imagine, terribly interested that you seem to think partly because his own doctors uh, diagnosed him 
as uh, as having epilepsy, partly because of his personality issues and I assume his medical issues, but also because of the family history of epilepsy. I was eager to hear your thoughts on temporal lobe epilepsy as one of the key uh, illnesses that he suffered from. Some people say, oh, you know, it was clearly bipolar disorder. He had schizophrenia. He had depression. But if you look at all of the symptoms together and the family history, and as you mentioned, the that the doctor did diagnose him with epilepsy. When people say, well, it can't be epilepsy, I mean, he didn't, he isn't recorded as having these seizures where, you know, there would be motor movement of your body or you would fall down and have seizure activity. But temporal lobe epilepsy, unlike other forms of epilepsy, occurs, just as it sounds, in the temporal lobe, which is the area of the brain that houses emotion and affects mood, affects the way we therefore relate to others, and also can be an area where there can be hallucinatory experience, particularly sort of emotionally based hallucinatory experience, both visual and or auditory. But if you see any seizure activity at all, it's usually maybe just a momentary, what looks like an absence seizure. Basically, you you appear to be absent. You're just sort of not relating to the outside world. You look like there's nobody home. But it usually would last a very short time and you wouldn't have any motor movement because the temporal lobe doesn't house anything to do with motor movement. And so people who have temporal lobe epilepsy are often missed. They're not diagnosed at all. All of these, what I would now say, are symptoms of being highly irascible and irritable, periods of depression, at times hyper-religious, which we see in the, we think of it in the form of he's learning to be a preacher, but he goes way beyond I'm learning to be a preacher, right? Well, yeah, the, the fact that when he was in the Borinage trying to be a missionary and there's a terrible gas explosion in one of the mines, he literally strips his clothes off to make bandages for the uh, to the victims of this. Uh, he engages in forms of of self mortification as part of his religion. He wouldn't sleep in a bed. He made himself sleep on a wooden board. He he literally cudgeled himself uh, as a form of mor- uh, self mortification. I, I don't think we're this. Is, it is a stretch to say that his religion was excessive, and and his own father, who was a minister was horrified. One reason he was fired as a missionary was that the the gentlemen who sort of uh, ran the mission were so horrified by his excessive displays of religiosity. I think that that is it was 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 clearly uh, a symptom of his relationships with people, the combination of 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 irritability and stickiness is 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 a formula for terrible relationships with people to a bond uh, in an excessive way uh, to force yourself on people to an extent that is uncomfortable to them and then to start fighting with them constantly makes it virtually impossible to maintain a relationship with them. And that's really classic for temporal lobe epilepsy. So stickiness can apply to people and a relationship, but the same can be true of stickiness to topics. So he would become obsessive, like completely obsessed with, you know, now I'm going to be a preacher. And as you said, go to the nth degree um, and not give up or not step back for a moment and yet struggle with it. One thing I I wanted to ask you, Dr. Saltz, is uh, temporal lobe epilepsy 
the the term for it in uh, at the time Vincent was suffering from from it perhaps uh, was known in psychiatric circles in France. the The term for it in French was t- uh, epilepsy larval, meaning um, emerging from the larva. And we we know that his the doctor in Arles, Doctor Ray, his roommate at the Montpellier Medical School had done his sort of doctoral dissertation on this subject. You could say that Vincent really got lucky in the sense that he happened to come into contact with this doctor who had some ideas about such things because certainly many doctors did not and really advised him, you know, you need to stay away from the absinthe. That obviously would be a help in and of itself. But he also treated him with potassium bromide, which actually did help him to get better. Whether they really understood that this occurred in the temporal lobe, I don't know that we could say that because I'm not sure that the understanding of of brain neuroanatomy was, you know, what it is today or even close to it. But certainly they did understand that there was the likelihood of some seizure activity causing maybe not so much the interpersonal difficulties that Vincent was having, but the at that point, the extreme impulsivity and distress in mood, you know, his his deep, dark, you know, terrible feelings, but also his impulsive, you know, he at that point was doing things like cutting off his ear, cutting off his ear or, or uh, you know, or, or drinking turpentine. You know, he made attempts that looked like serious self-injury and or suicide attempts, although he writes to Theo, we know he doesn't really want to kill himself. He doesn't really want to die. The drinking of the turpentine and the cutting off the ear, we know from the descriptions of his behavior at the times of both of those incidents that he was uh, in a moment of certainly of impulsivity and what looks to me as as, as a layman like a psychotic episode. Whereas at the time that he died, he was in a very good space for, for Vincent. The day he was shot, he went out painting. He was uh, in a good mood that morning. Uh, he was being productive. He did not exhibit the kinds of, of behaviors that he exhibited at the times of his most self-destructive uh, acts. Vincent was not unintelligent. He spoke four languages fluently. He certainly was, he was a smart person. My sense is that not only because, because he was fluent in four languages, but if, if, if you take the corpus of letters and the quality of knowledge, not only of the writing, which was extraordinary and might have made him a somewhat significant literary figure, even if he had never been a painter. And beyond that, the quality of thinking is so high. It's this sort of philosophical thinking about the meaning of life and of existence uh, are of a very order, and that doesn't even begin to address the overwhelming sophistication of the paintings. I would think he was had had an extremely high IQ. You can say that it, clearly he was not only uh, a deep and thoughtful and intelligent thinker, um, but he was a creative thinker. As you said, a lot of this was sort of philosophical. And um, and even existential, and so we you can already see, I guess I would say, some of the seeds of his creativity early on. And yet, curiously, right, this didn't help him at all in working for an art dealer or working in a shop 
or working, maybe I should say more importantly, with other people, which is where he had so much difficulty. Much like Vincent's early relationships, his relationships with women were even more unrequited and tragic. He fell in love with a cousin who rejected him and courted a neighbor's daughter who attempted suicide when both families rejected the match. He mostly paid women for any companionship. One woman, Seen Hornick, lived with him for almost two years. According to letters and drawings Vincent made of her, she was a very depressed and unhappy person. One of Vincent's most famous chalk drawings is of Seen, sitting naked with her head in her arms. It is titled, Sorrow. Even she couldn't handle it, even though he was paying her essentially by the day. There was much love in this human being. I mean, even though he couldn't make it work, he desperately wanted relationships with with family, with friends, especially with women, uh, both because of his romantic feelings and because of his libido. He had a very high libido. Hypersexualism, another symptom of temporal lobe epilepsy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There was also a peasant woman in Noonan with whom he may have had a child, but she too was 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 paid by him. Uh, she wasn't a, you know, she wasn't a professional prostitute, but uh, she modeled for him and she had sex with him, and he paid her for all of that. She'd had many children. She was quite ill. Uh, she was older than he was. She was pockmarked. She was not attractive. She was not a courtesan. And yet, one of the reasons, aside from his productivity, that makes him so appealing. And so ultimately lovable is that he, he there was a generosity lurking constantly in him, and he treated this woman seen as if she as if she were his wife. And he took care of her when she went to the hospital. Uh, he took care of her every day. He tried to make the apartment uh, attractive for her. And when she had a child who wasn't his child, he treated this child as if it was his own child. He made a crib for him. He decorated the apartment for this baby when it came home from the hospital. He wanted to be a family. It was a family. And, and he drew these darling drawings of this baby in its crib. Even sadder, she left, ultimately. And, and, she, she, left. and she ultimately left, even though she predicted uh, that she would she was so miserable that she would drown herself one day. And she did in 1907, I believe it was. She drowned herself as, as, as she herself predicted. Let's take a quick break here. When we get back, we'll discuss how Vincent's mental illness may have contributed to the incredible output of art in his final years. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. After Vincent's failed attempt at the ministry and a stint in the family business, he decides he truly wants to be an artist. One symptom of his temporal lobe epilepsy, his tenacity, he channels toward painting. Despite there being no outside interest nor ability to sell his paintings, he becomes obsessed with and driven to develop his painting. In your wonderful book, you talk about the spark, his spark, and he came to it Partly because it, it was, you know, art was the family business. So, and he worked in a gallery, even though he failed at it. He worked in the Hague office, the London office, and the Paris office of what was eventually called Goupil when his uncle sold his Dutch business to the big French emporium. So, he was constantly in contact with art. And independently of that, he was constantly going to exhibitions and he had something like a, a photographic memory at a time when. You know, people didn't have art books with color plates, and they certainly didn't have the internet, what we can call up all these images. Van Gogh could look at a painting and remember subtle color combinations and passages of brushwork years later. And he didn't choose to choose really to become an artist in something that's very touching. Theo, looking for an activity that could keep his brother busy and help him deal with his loneliness and his misery recommended that he start drawing. So this it not only did Theo fund his life as an artist, he is the one who, who suggested he become an artist. That is the one thing he stayed with for the last 10 years of his life. One of the things I found fascinating is the question of, you know, what would medication have done for Vincent? Would it have changed him so completely 
that it would have impaired at least the form of art, the, the kind of art he would have made, or his the, the hypomania that allowed him to work as obsessively as he worked. Uh, what you say, if I, I don't want to mischaracterize it, is that there perhaps is some some midway point between sort of uh, average sensibilities and extreme psychological uh, conditions where there's sort of a sweet spot where the sort of the benefits of some of the things that we think of as negative, like depression, can still be harnessed to an artistic career without being uh, constrained by excessive psychiatric problems. Was he in that sweet spot just naturally? What are your thoughts as to what those medications would have done for both his level of productivity and for the life experiences that might have led to uh, to the kind of art that he made? Such an interesting question to ponder. First, let me say, when we think of, I mean, certainly temporal lobe epilepsy should be treated. Leaving unchecked epileptic symptoms alone causes them to worsen over time, something called the kinetic effect. And, you know, the more, more seizure activity you have, the more seizure activity you have. And certainly it caused him terrible suffering. However, when you look at what made Vincent Vincent, you know, in terms of his painting and something we all just marvel at to this day, this obsessiveness certainly was a feature. I mean, he, he most of his painting was done in the last two years of his life, the last four to two years of his life, but particularly in the last two years of his life, he painted almost every day. We need to fight this notion that he was a, a, this madman who poured himself out on his canvases in a kind of delirium. You know, yes. There is this sort of cliche that uh, I think needs to be dealt with uh, yeah. because that's because he was too brilliant. He was too intentional. He, the, the paintings were extremely thoughtful, right? He spent hours and hours thinking them through every yes. single line. Yes. And I think you, you mentioned two things that are absolutely crucial. One is the sheer productivity. You know, the fact that he could lay down on a canvas thousands and thousands of complex lines and, and complex color combinations uh, that level of energy, that mania or hypomania, I think, um, uh, yes, I, I, uh, is 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 not unrelated to the fact that he could paint a complex painting in an uh, entire painting in a single day. Yes, and as you brilliantly say, uh, you know, we think of him as this revolutionary painter because at a time when Surratt had a whole group of panelists who were working around him and learning from him, and Monet and Renoir were painting paintings of the same scene and very similar styles. Later, we look towards Picasso and Brock developing analytical cubism together, so much so that it's a little bit hard for outsiders to sometimes distinguish a, a Brock uh, from a Picasso from that period. Van Gogh is out there creating his own thing. And I actually thought long and hard about what you said. And it does seem to me quite possible the late landscapes from the last 70 days of his life become increasingly abstract. One wonders if he hadn't uh, died at age 37 as a young, youngish man, um, you know, if, if he'd only had two more years of this very short career, or let alone 10 more years uh, or 20, what, what would the art have become? It was becoming abstract so quickly. And I intrigued by the notion, not, not that he paint, painted, what, that, that when he was looking at this landscape, he saw 
it as he put it on the canvas. I think there was a a thoughtful form of of abstraction that was going on, a, a calculated abstraction that was going on in the transposition from the nature that he saw at that moment to the canvas. Maybe that process of seeing in a distorted fashion during the near psychotic episodes might have liberated him to be more audacious, to be uh, looser and freer with the imagery he was creating when he was completely lucid. Absolutely, entirely possible that that he could be looking and seeing, you know, reality, what he is seeing, but that he would be impacted by the memory of of visual hallucinations. It is important to know that during his most ill periods, when he was, you know, in the beginning of hospitalizations or, or certain, you know, times when he clearly was not doing well, he did not paint. So he was not able to be productive at his his most ill moments. But other than that, he was incredibly productive. And we do know that patients do have memories for, you know, it's recorded as as a, a memory that is one may have access to that during ill periods, hallucinations, auditory or visual, psychotic thoughts, delusions can be remembered and and can be, let's say, used, you know, whether that's in the painting format or a written format. So it does seem plausible. Obviously, we were conjecturing. We can't know. We can't ask him. So we we don't know. But these things collectively, I I think about as, you know, the hardwired, let's say, strengths that can be a part and parcel of a psychiatric illness like temporal lobe epilepsy, where it's possible that these things are part of what made Vincent, you know, the the incredible original, was. yeah, creative, productive, you know, artist that, you know, we revere. Towards the premature end of Vincent's life, despite his continued mood and relationship struggles, he produced many paintings, and there was just the hint of some recognition of their promise. He sold one painting while still alive, but these later paintings, amongst them Starry Night, are his most incredible work. While there is some debate about the specifics, we do know that on July 27, 1890, at the age of only 37, Vincent van Gogh died of a gunshot wound. Of course, the tragic thing, right, for for Vincent is that he was not recognized that way in his life. In other words, it was really not until his death that others began to note, you know, sometimes genius isn't recognized in the moment, right? Well, especially if if it's as original as it was. That was the problem is even his own brother, Theo, not until after Vincent died, it was just beginning to be seen. Uh, even Claude Monet and Theo van Rijsselberg saw some paintings by Vincent at an exhibition in Brussels months before he died and, and thought and said to others, boy, this is very interesting. There's something very interesting going on there. So they were beginning to see it. But because it didn't look like the art that we knew, people couldn't, and, and including his brother Theo, uh, until the very end, uh, didn't see it there. Now the revolution has happened and we all... You know, we can look at these things and see them for, for what they are. What's astonishing to me is that when you look at the, at the great late paintings, it is 
one massively brilliant color combination after another and one perfect brilliant epic brushstroke after another and and this comes from somewhere of course you know the brain at the center of it all it's part of why i do wonder if some of what was happening in his brain i.e. the visual hallucinations you know right. you know we know that creativity um has everything to do with imagination and right. we know that imagination occurs in an area of the brain called the default network, what we, we're calling it now. Um, and we know that it's the free flowing of thoughts, unencumbered, disinhibited, frequent thoughts. Many, many, many thoughts means some of them, some of those divergent thoughts will turn out to be amazing ones, let's say, or genius ones, if you are, are disinhibited enough, but still organized to, enough to function. What informed his def- the thoughts in his default network? Were there visual hallucinations in other portions of the brain that he could harness and utilize to come up with these out-of-the-box ideas that, as you say, are these putting together of colors and brushstrokes in ways that no one was doing and not been seen before? It's it's fascinating to ponder. That's the other thing that we we, we haven't really discussed fully, and that is the fact that he triumphed over his own misery. And these paintings are so joyful. They're some of the most joyful paintings ever done. And I think there's something truly magical about the fact that he pulled out of this life of misery, not a brooding, difficult, somber, gloomy even uh, art form, uh, um, as other artists did, but instead these joyful uh, images of flowers and and rolling hills and bright colors and this charming drawing and painting style. So much charm, so much beauty, so much joy out of so much misery. What we see in that, right, which I think is part of what resonates so much for all of us viewing, is this demonstration of incredible resilience, which all of us would like some of, right? To be able to manage no matter what is going on and as you said, triumph and overcome. And he sort of displays that through his paintings and his ability also to paint in such a way to make us so emotionally touched, right? They're so evocative, whether it be joy or sadness sometimes, or just sort of existential wonder at nature and the world and his ability to do that to us to you know he in his life he couldn't connect and stay connected to others but he connects to us and he talked about wanting to console people through his art and he did it it's truly one of the great um, triumphs i think of the human spirit and i think it's one reason why so many people love his art so much. It isn't just the beauty and the brilliant colors and the charming drawing. It's, it is this sense of triumph over adversity, this sense of resilience, and this sense of connection with us all. And the fact that these connections are, have been created by a man who couldn't connect with people in his own lifetime is something that we take in, even unconsciously, as something that we can hope for in our own lives that we can make connections with people even when those connections seem difficult, that we too can triumph over adversity and be productive even in our difficult moments, I think 
you know, it, it sends a subliminal message to us all that adds to the incredible artistic experience that we have in front of one of his paintings. A hundred percent. Well, that wraps things up for this episode. Thanks for joining me today. And a special thanks to Stephen Knifey. You can get his book, Van Gogh, The Life, wherever books are sold. If you're interested in more information about the people we discussed today, you can check out my book, The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and Genius. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Gail Saltz or at PersonologyMD. Until next time. Personology is a production of iHeartRadio. The executive producers are Dr. Gail Saltz and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. The associate producer is Lowell Berlanti. Editing, music, and mixing by Lowell Berlanti. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety? Struggling to find restful sleep or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters.